The truth is, as we think about the foundation of each of our lives, we know that that foundation comes about differently. Our childhood and our relationships, our families, our backgrounds, all of them look differently as God works in our lives and shapes us into who he made us to be. We know we're not gathered online to worship together this morning because we have everything in common, because we see everything the same way or because we even need to. We're gathered together to worship this morning because we have one thing in common. We have Jesus, because God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We've all taken different paths to get here, but he is our foundation. Jesus sets us apart to live holy lives and calls us together to proclaim the gospel. So this morning, we're going to continue as we walk through the book of 1 Peter. We're going to start this morning in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. If you haven't already done it, there's a listening guide available at vcbc.org. You can go and find that there. Let's begin reading together, though, this morning. 1 Peter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it? If when you sin, you are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So Peter's laid this foundation for us. The foundation isn't who we are or what we've done or what we haven't done, or what others say or think about us. The foundation is Jesus and what he has done for us. He's the one that sets us apart from the world to live holy lives because he is holy. And he's the one who brings us together in the church to proclaim the excellencies of him who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And now Peter starts to build on that foundation. He actually starts to call us to build on that foundation. He urges us to live as exiles, To live as people who recognize this world in which we live right now is not our home. That who the world says we are is not the truest thing about us because our identity is rooted in Christ. 
That means we're going to see things from a different perspective from the world around us. We're going to think about things differently and act differently in ways that are going to seem strange to an unbelieving world. That's the picture Peter's beginning to paint here in this passage. So what should our lives look like then? In response to what Jesus has done for us and what he's doing in our lives, what should the lives of those living as sojourners and exiles look like? This morning, quickly, I want to look at three rules for those of us living in exile. Followers of Jesus in a fallen world. First, as those living in exile, guard your purpose to glorify God. Guard your purpose to glorify God. Peter begins here before he ever tells us what he's urging us to do or calling us to do by reminding us of our identity in Christ, that we're sojourners. We're those living in a place and in a world that's not our final home, that we are exiles, those residing alongside other people who feel much more at home in this world. We've said it before over these past couple months, but as believers in Jesus, our perspective on this pandemic should look different from the world around us. As Christians, we're not fearful or panicked because our God is faithful and our hope is alive. But we're also most concerned about our neighbors and about our brothers and sisters and about protecting those around us. So being sojourners and exiles isn't about taking a position on one side or on the other. It's about seeing things clearly in light of who God is and who he's calling us to be. And that begins not by looking for enemies or threats and what others are doing or saying, but by taking a look at our own hearts, abstaining from the passions of the flesh, Peter says. Living in exile means that we've believed in Jesus. It means our hope is secure in him, but we still find ourselves living in a world that is broken and hurting. And so even within our own hearts, there's a struggle between the flesh and the spirit, between doing the works of the flesh Paul describes in Galatians 5, things like sexual immorality and jealousy or fits of anger, to name just a few, and then living out the fruit of the Spirit that he also describes there in Galatians 5, things like love and joy and peace. Peter is telling us here what Paul tells us in Romans 13, 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. In other words, don't feed your sinful nature. Don't make a provision for it. Don't provide an opportunity for your sinful desires to turn into sinful thoughts or actions. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, which is Peter's way of talking about unbelievers here. Keep your conduct honorable. In verse 12, Peter begins to sharpen his focus and ours. In the New Testament, we see lots of reasons to flee from sin and to cling to Christ. Many of them point us to the danger to ourselves and our fellowship with God when we sin. But Peter points us here to our purpose for living honorably. And that is that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter's acknowledging this reality of living in exile, that there's going to be opposition. There's going to be misunderstanding. There's going to be struggle at times as we live in an unbelieving world. As we proclaim the truth of God's word, we at times might even be called hateful or evil or bigoted for taking a stand, for doing what is right. But he's calling us here, guard our purpose to glorify God. Don't give those who would accuse you of being bigoted or hateful 
any evidence to use against you. In other words, don't respond with hate when someone says that you're hateful. We're called to keep our conduct honorable so that we have the opportunity to point others to Jesus so that hopefully in the end, watching our lives and hearing our message, that others would join us in the faith. We know that in our flesh, our greatest passion is our own glory. It's what leads us to respond to opposition or to difficulty with anger or jealousy or vengeance. What animates us and motivates us most in our flesh is ourselves. But in Christ, we have a higher purpose that others would see the excellencies of him who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Our greatest passion in our flesh is our glory, but our greatest purpose in Christ is his glory. And so we can't lose sight of what he's called us to do. We can't lose sight of the message he's given us, the hope of the gospel. Don't take your eyes off the prize. Guard your purpose to glorify God. Second rule for living in exile as we continue in this passage Exercise your freedom to serve God and honor others. Once we know our purpose, Peter starts to get more practical here. But it starts out in a way that kind of goes against the grain for us a little bit. We're blessed to live in a nation that enjoys so much freedom. A place where it's common, even growing up as a child, if somebody tells you to do something you don't want to do, right? you say, last I checked, this is a free country. I don't know if kids still say that or not. Probably not. They're probably cooler than we were back when I was growing up. But for good reason, we still hold our rights and our freedoms dearly. We're still working to live up to the ideals we see in the Declaration of Independence, that every person created by God has the right to life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. So we have an almost allergic reaction to any instruction that begins like what Peter starts with here in verse 13 be subject. And so let's just take a minute and stop and see what's Peter calling us to do? Why is he calling us to do it? And how do we live it out? First, what's Peter telling us here to do? Yes, we heard it correctly the first time. Peter tells us be subject to every human institution. The offices he provides as examples there don't match up to our form of government perfectly, but his point is clear. From the highest office to the lowest, we should be subject to human institutions and authorities. In verse 14, he points us to the role of government, saying these authorities are sent to punish evil and to praise those who do good. Paul tells us in Romans 13, 1, who sends these authorities? He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Governments exist to maintain order among people, to celebrate good and to punish evil. And so our default posture as exiles is really simple here. It's to obey. But second, why does Peter tell us to obey every human institution? He says it first in verse 13. It's for the Lord's sake. But he explains it more in verse 15. He says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. When we interact with our government, our purpose does not change. It's that we would live in such a way that leads others to join us in living for Jesus. That those who would criticize us or accuse us of anything would ultimately be left speechless by our consistent commitment 
to doing good. And while there's no guarantee that someone silenced by the witness of our lives will ultimately believe in Jesus and glorify God and join us in following him, Peter's made it clear here already, the scriptures make it clear, and our own lives make it clear that God is able to bring about that kind of change. So we obey for the Lord's sake, so that through our lives, others will see his goodness. So that's the what and the how, but then, or the what and the why, but then how? How does Peter tell us to live a life subject to every human institution? He calls us to exercise our freedom to serve God and honor others. Live as people who are free, he tells us, which feels like it works against be subject to every human institution, right? Be free and be subject until we see the freedom that Peter is pointing us to. He's not pointing us to a freedom that guarantees that I always get to do what I want to do when I want to do it. He doesn't point us to freedom from every outside pressure or authority. He points us to freedom from the passions of the flesh we already talked about in this passage, freedom from the chains of our own sin and selfishness so that we can see what true freedom is, and that is serving God and honoring others. That's how Peter calls us to live because that's why God created us in his image in the first place. We know this because when we try to find our satisfaction in life by insisting that we have the right to do everything we want to do when we want to do it, by pursuing our own way, what we find is not satisfaction, but slavery, because we always need more. But when we pursue Jesus, that's when we find satisfaction and freedom, freedom to live as we were created to live, to serve God and to reflect his love in the way we honor one another. Serving God means we guard our purpose to glorify him. It means we recognize that there will be times when human authorities in a fallen world get things wrong, just as there are times when we get things wrong. There will even be times when those charged with praising good and punishing evil do just the opposite. And in those moments, our first allegiance is to God. And so thankfully in this nation, we have the freedom and the responsibility to speak out when injustice threatens any person who is created in the image of God. Serving God means we stand to say that the circumstances surrounding your conception or your birth are never a crime that is punishable by death. And neither is the color of your skin. Right? There are times that we must take a stand. We also need to be careful about identifying those particular times. Because every point of political opinion doesn't find such a clear answer in Scripture. Good luck finding in Scripture a Christian view on tax policy or even how to respond to a pandemic. On many issues, Christians seeking to apply the same biblical principles will disagree about how to put those principles into practice. And so exercising our freedom to serve God means we remember in those moments our first purpose, and that is to glorify God. Doing that is what frees us up to honor others. As Peter goes on in verse 17, he tells us, honor everyone. 
That's where he starts. Everyone, every person created in the image of God, we should treat them with kindness and dignity and honor. There are no exceptions. There are no boundaries to that. Political party, economic status, skin color, age, nationality, whatever factor we might be tempted to use to determine who deserves honor and who doesn't, doesn't apply. Honor everyone. Then he says, love the brotherhood. And as believers, we're called together in the church as a people for God's own possession. We should love one another. That's what we should be known for, Jesus told us. I said it earlier, but we're not worshiping together this morning because we have everything in common, but because we have Jesus in common. We love each other because he first loved us while we were still sinners. That means we don't withhold love from one another until we deserve it. We just love one another. Honor everyone love the brotherhood, fear God. Peter reminds us here, God's the one we're serving. We're living for his glory. He's the one who institutes emperors. And that's why we're called to honor the emperor, as he says here. Or in our case, the president, the governor, all those who are in positions of authority. We honor them by our obedience, except in those extreme circumstances when our consciences don't allow it. But even then, we show honor and grace by the truth and the kindness of our words and our actions. See, these words that Peter gives us here that are given to us by the Holy Spirit, they don't allow us any other way. As people living in exile, we're never free to insist on our own way in a way that degrades or dishonors another individual. We're free to serve God and to honor others, knowing and trusting that God is the one who guarantees that all things will be made right. That leads us to the third and final rule for living in exile. Embrace your calling to endure suffering. Embrace your calling to endure suffering. May not seem like the highest note for us to end on, but it's where the chapter ends this morning. And it's not as sour as it first seems to us when we look more closely and see what Peter is pointing us to, who he is pointing us to here. Peter tells us how we relate to government when we're living as exiles. Now he tells us how we relate to employers or others in positions of authority in our lives. And he frames it here in terms of servants or slaves and their masters, which was a recognition, yes, of the circumstances of his time, but it's not an endorsement of slavery in any form. He starts out with the same clear command that he gave in the last section, saying, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. There is so much more here than we have time to really unpack this morning, but Peter goes on to say, it's a gracious thing when mindful of God, we suffer unjustly. That is... When you suffer because of your allegiance to Christ and your faith in him, your ability to endure it is evidence that God is at work in your heart and in your life. So when you're passed over for that project or promotion because of your faith or because of your integrity, God proves himself faithful in your perseverance, in your endurance. Peter's also careful to remind us here, though, that not all suffering that we endure is a result of unjust treatment on the part of others, that some of it is the result of our own sin in a fallen and broken world. Also, though, we should point out that Peter's not calling us here to endure abuse of any form. He's already told us that 
God has given government for the role of punishing evil. And so as he talks here about enduring suffering, we should know that if someone is abusive toward you, you are right to report that to the proper authorities. What Peter is saying here, what he's pointing us to, is that we don't seek revenge on our own, that we don't take justice into our own hands. Why? Verse 21. Because to this you have been called, he says. Right There it is. We're called to endure suffering. Again, we might ask why, but Peter answers this right there in the verse, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Our suffering isn't like Jesus's in every way. Our suffering doesn't atone for our sins or the sins of others. But in this life of exile, it points us to Christ and it points others to Christ. Verses 22 through 25 Peter just turns to this beautiful description of who Jesus is, of the suffering that he's endured, of what he's shown us, the example that he's set for us. And he starts by highlighting the the sinlessness of Jesus. No matter how unjust our suffering is in this life, it's never more unjust than what Jesus endured for us. And so we should never think we're justified to react in any way other than how Jesus did. And he never returned insult for insult or evil for evil or Facebook rant for Facebook rant. He entrusted himself to the God who says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. God urges us in Romans 12, 19, not to avenge ourselves, but to trust God because he is a judge who sees all things, a God who promises to make all things right. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He entrusted himself to God, bearing our sins so that we can die to sin and live to righteousness, so that we can be free from our passion for our own glory, to live for the glory of the one who created us, the one who has redeemed us. Jesus' example shines bright and clear for us to see as we endure suffering. But let's acknowledge that in our suffering, it isn't always quite so clear. When you're let down by someone you trusted to lead you or wronged by someone who is supposed to protect you or you're hurt by someone you thought would always be there for you, it can feel like enduring that suffering and forgiving means that that person is just getting away with it. It can seem like getting even is the only way. But it's not. Because we're called to endure suffering as Christ endured suffering entrusting ourselves to him who judges justly. This morning, some of you who are watching have endured suffering and trauma that I can't even imagine, that I have never seen. But what we know this morning is this, that the one who judges justly sees, and he will make it right. He's already done what it takes to see you through it, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, living in exile. We embrace our calling to endure suffering, not because the suffering is enjoyable, but because in our weakness and in our endurance, people see us looking to Jesus. People see us living out the example that Jesus has set for us. Living in exile. 
living as a follower of Jesus in a fallen world. It means we guard our purpose to glorify God. Living in exile means we exercise our freedom to serve God and to honor others. And it means that we embrace our calling to endure suffering. This morning, as we think about what this passage has called us to, as we think about what Peter calls us to in these words, I would just ask you, how do you need to respond this morning? Living out these rules may mean that your attitude needs to change or that your focus needs to shift, as mine has over the last week or so as I've prepared to share this message with you. Less focus on you, more attention on Jesus and what he has done and what he is doing and who he is calling you to be. Living out these rules may mean repentance in a specific area. Could be the way we think or speak about those with whom we disagree or the things that we say on social media about those with whom we disagree. Are we using our freedom to serve God and to honor everyone? Or living out these rules this morning may mean it's time to forgive and to trust God who judges justly. If you need to respond in any of those ways this morning, if you need prayer this morning, then you can respond by texting us or emailing us or any of the ways that you see on your screen. This morning, though we know for some of you who are watching, living as a follower of Christ in a fallen world needs to start with the first step to follow Jesus. You need the foundation that we talked about earlier. If that's where you are, then we would love to talk more with you about taking that next step, about placing your faith in Jesus who has suffered for your sake, taking your sins. As it says in verse 24 and 25, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. If God is calling to you this morning, if Jesus is calling to you this morning to follow him, then reach out to us. We would love to talk with you more about how you can follow Jesus. Let me pray for us as we continue to worship this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for Jesus and for the example that you have given us. Lord, that in this world that is fallen and broken, Lord, we thank you for the calling you've placed on our lives to point people to you, to be lights in a dark world. Lord, we thank you for the government that you have instituted, Lord, for the authorities that you have put in place to keep order, Lord, in our, in our lives and in our society. God, we thank you for the leaders that you have, have instituted, Lord. We pray that you would help us to speak about them and to um, act toward them, Lord, in a way that, that shows honor. Lord, that you would give us a heart to, to pray, Lord, for those leaders that we agree with and those that we might not agree with, Lord. But we just ask this morning that in the midst of this difficult time, Lord, that you would bless our president with wisdom and, Lord, with a, 
um, eyes to see the situation, Lord, as you as you see it, Lord, that he would would act wisely and justly, Lord. We pray the same for our governor, for all those who you have placed in positions, Lord, of authority. And we, Lord, we pray for each one of us, Lord, as we as we walk with you, Lord. You tell us that following Jesus doesn't necessarily mean that this life in this world is going to always be easy, Lord. There are going to be moments when things get difficult and when the road gets hard, Lord. We pray that you would help us in those moments to look to you, to look to Jesus, to see his example and to follow in his steps as one who endures suffering and one who trusts ourselves to your hands because you always prove, you always show yourself to be faithful. In Jesus' name we pray.